Hello and welcome to this edition of the EV Revolution Show audio podcast. With your host, Kenneth Bacor. This is episode 23, recorded on May 6, 2021. This episode of the EV Revolution Show is sponsored by File Sanctuary. Need a great web host for your business? Need to get email at yourdomain.com? They provide professional, feature-rich web and email hosting for any project you have in mind. Get started today at filesanctuary.net forward slash cloud and save 10% with promo code EVREVSHOW. All right, and welcome to this edition of the EV Revolution Show audio podcast. My name is Kenneth Bocor, your host, and I appreciate you taking the time to listen to this audio podcast uh, as I've got a great guest today. As you folks know, I always try to find interesting and, and intelligent and smart people that uh, encapsulate the EV marketplace. And I have a great gentleman on the line today by the name of Richard Reyna. Hey, Richard, how are you? Hey, Ken, I'm doing well today. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you for taking the time and uh, for reaching out to connect and have this conversation. Now, my understanding to give the folks, uh, the listeners here a background is that you work for Car ID, And I think a lot of the listeners may know that website. I certainly have gone there many times in the past to look at various car parts and, and order stuff that I can't find maybe on eBay or other sources uh, at reasonable prices. And you're part of the company's um, uh, product training, your director of product training, and you've been in the automotive industry for over 30 years. You've worked at, uh, at Volvo, I understand, which is a great organization, both retail and engineering. Um, and, you know, you've got a lot of industry expertise, which I always like to find because I'm not an expert. I just like to bring smart people and then people think I'm smart. That's how I roll. You know, it's it's all about the perception, right? <laughs> I wouldn't call myself an expert, but I have spent pretty much my whole adult life in the car business. Nice. So uh, most of my background is service and technical, and I'm yep. an enthusiast uh, in addition to all that, Ken. So, yeah, that's, thank you for that. That's excellent. Now, again, for, for folks that don't know uh, Car ID, it's an online retailer retailer of automotive parts and accessories. You've got some other brands, uh, you know, um, roped in with that, you know, for boats, for power sports uh, equipment as, and motorcycles as well, different division groups uh, as part of that? That's correct. Uh, CarID.com is really the the parent website. We call it the, the one-stop uh, everything online uh, automotive store. So everything from accessories to performance goodies, uh, lighting, wheels and tires, and something fairly new to us are just repair parts. Uh, so things that you might need to keep your car on the road versus the performance and dress-up goodies that you want. But it's a one-stop shopping site, and uh, yeah, we're, we're pretty proud of the website. So, Yeah, it's a great site. Like I said, I've used it before, and people are probably going, well, why do you have this guy on? It's talking about car parts, and don't EVs kind of need less parts and all that stuff, which we'll get into. We will get into because it's an interesting slant, you know, as we try to bring EVs to this industry. Richard, one thing I wanted to start off the conversation about was, you know, you live in the States and uh, President Biden has come out with a large infrastructure plan. There's a lot of stimulus and a lot of that has to, you know, to do with green technologies, including EVs. Wanted to get your sense and thoughts about that. Uh, happy to talk about that uh, with you, Ken. Uh President has proposed, uh, I believe it's $2 trillion uh, overall plan. What's interesting for both you and me is that 
174 billion of that is specifically targeted toward EVs. Mm -hmm. What I like about it personally is that what the administration is suggesting is putting money to alleviate people's fears about EVs. So one thing, for example, that that money will do will be to install, I believe the number is 500,000 charging stations. We know, when I say we, I mean the industry knows from talking about this with, with Americans that one of the fears in embracing an EV in the driveway or garage is a lack of uh, charging stations. So to, to have money put toward that should go a long way toward uh, helping people overcome any fear about getting an EV. Uh, what also, although the specifics are still vague right now, the administration is also talking about incentives. And you are probably familiar with this $7,500 federal tax credit that's been in place for a while. Yep. Mm -hmm. That's been a, a, a rolling credit, though. And once mm -hmm. a vehicle manufacturer hits 200,000 units yep. sales, that goes away. So what possibly will happen with this $174 billion is we'll see additional credits. Biden has even talked about a point of sale credit. Mm. So you could go in and it's like a coupon almost where you could get an X percent discount on the purchase of, a, of an EV. Because for things to really change, Ken, if we allow it to happen organically, it will happen. I, I'm just, and I don't say this to be flipped, I'm not sure it's going to happen in my lifetime. Because it, it will take time. And we can talk about some of the factors around that. If there is some government intervention, we certainly will see, uh, in a good way, we'll see an artificial uh, drive toward helping uh, the average consumer who still has fear of the unknown, help them embrace uh, an EV as a, as a future vehicle for the household. Yeah, you know, that's a great point. Um, I think a lot of listeners need to understand that this whole EV transition, this EV revolution that I talk about, it's happening, but it is a slow, progressive, you know, um, flip to to that that marketplace. I mean, it doesn't just happen overnight. You know, guys like Tony Siba, who I respect, but you know, I think they're they're very op, um, optim, you know, very optimistic about their projections on, you know, when people are going to be driving EVs. I mean, the automobile industry, is, as we know it today, has been around for over a hundred years. It's a legacy uh, marketplace, and it, it doesn't just turn on a dime. So things like, as you just said, you know, it's going to take a while. But the good thing is that you got to start somewhere, and you got to start sometime. The sooner you start with policies and frameworks, one one important part to spurring EV adoption, the sooner we can get to, um, you know, to the end result, right? So I'm very optimistic about the plan. Uh, uh, I'm hoping now, did you hear as part of that, that there'll be maybe an increase to to some of the manufacturers that have already surpassed that cap of 200, that they'll be able to, there was talk about widening that cap? There was an implication, Ken, mm -hmm. I may be a little bit sparse on the specifics myself, but there was an implication that the credit would return in some fashion, yep. even for manufacturers like Tesla, mm -hmm. who long ago passed that 200,000 mark. Mm -hmm. And again, I think the thinking at a high level is to be fair to all the EV manufacturers, both the legacy and the startup manufacturers, because mm -hmm. again, look at what the, the long-term goal is. The long-term goal is not to put people into VWID4 is because that happens to be one of the, the newest vehicles, 
but to allow people still to have the freedom of choice and yeah. still encourage the purchase or lease of an EV, whether it's a Tesla or a Chevy Volt or a Mustang Mach-E. So it wouldn't matter whether the manufacturer's uh, uh, current federal uh, tax break is expired or not. Absolutely. And, you know, you hit the nail on the head too, more choice, right? There's a lot of different factors to EV adoption, you know, incentives at some point will go away because we won't need them when we hit cost parity or, you know, a, a much lower cost for, let's say, a full electric vehicle, you know, versus an internal combustion vehicle of today. Um, th- there won't be a, a reason for a $7,500 tax credit or a point of sale. Here in Canada, we have point of sale rebates right now. Uh, we have a national standard and we're looking at the different provincials, uh, provinces are doing things. So, so I understand that. Um, and I guess lastly, on the infrastructure plan, are they also helping to spur or uh, companies in the marketplace, you know, manufacturers and suppliers into making that transitional change to the digital EV technology by grants or funding to help them do that? Absolutely, there is. And, and, and Biden is, I think he's very smart about this because they're talking about job creation, at least mm-hmm. in the U.S., yeah. So they're talking about, as you mentioned, grants and and other ways of putting money out there to encourage both the research and the manufacture of things like batteries in the United States. It's infrastructure, infrastructure, it's job creation, Mm -hmm. and it's a green future. So if you agree with that approach, uh, it becomes a win-win-win. And it's, it's kind of hard to argue against it. Uh, who's going to argue against job creation? Right. Um, we know that technology changes. Listen, I, I'm old enough to have lived through some of these other supposed uh, huge revolutions in, in different industries. Mm-hmm. If you look what happened in North America, I think it's 40 years ago with the telephone industry yep. and how that got blown apart uh, by the government and then it, it built itself up again, and a lot of jobs were lost, but a lot of new jobs were created. And again, we've seen that happen in other industries, and there's reason to be concerned. And I, maybe we'll get into it a little bit later, because as more and more EVs get on the road, Ken, I know short term, my company's looking at, Car ID is looking at the fact that, gee, uh, electric vehicles don't require oil filters. Mm-hmm. They don't require spark plugs. Mm-hmm. What are we going to sell? Uh, maybe that's a longer term concern, but it's something that I think the whole industry seriously needs to look at. Um, Jobs are going to go away, but new jobs are going to be created. So just to finish up on the infrastructure, uh, yeah, uh, incentives to purchase, uh, infrastructure toward charging stations to alleviate fear about recharging as you go down the road, Mm -hmm. and then money toward research and manufacture in the United States for job creation. And I think from that point of view, I do think uh, I think it's a great plan. We'll see what Congress does with it. Yeah, and I also think a national ZEV mandate would help the cause because uh, not all the states have mandates in the US and here in Canada, we're in the same boat. Um, that's not the ticket to everything, but I think that would certainly help. And as you, as you mentioned, um, uh, you know, we talked about cost parity. You know, but also, so the manufacturers need to get on board, and most of them are now. You know, it's all been a lot of positive news, in the, especially in the last year and a half to two years. Um, there's been a lot of positive movement there. Um, so that needs to, to occur. 
Um, and you're absolutely right. You know, it doesn't happen overnight. Now, I did want to ask you about the parts market, and you started to talk about it. So it is an interesting, uh, uh, you know, segment to look at in how that's going to be impacted. And, you know, if there are jobs lost in that, uh, where could some of that recovery come from? Uh, you know, I look at this from a, both a short-term and, and a long-term uh, approach. Mm-hmm. Because short-term, it's going to take some time for the EVs to get out there in the market. I don't know what the Canadian numbers are in the U.S. New vehicle sales, EVs are right now uh, taking up about 2%. Yeah, we're about three and a half, so not that time. Right, so, mm-hmm. so a little bit better. And we look at the overall vehicle population, it's... <clears throat> It's only about 1% in the States right now. So we're not seeing an impact right now, mm-hmm. but maybe a little bit of, of an aside comment with, with the COVID shutdown, maybe as a, as a glimpse into the future. I'm friendly with the owner of a, a filling station that's just a quarter mile from my house. And he said to me that um, his business, both selling fuel, petrol, as well as his repair business, he's got a three bay repair shop in the back. Mm-hmm. He said, he said to me, Richard, he said, my business is off 60% yes. since the COVID shutdown. Mm-hmm. And he he's a friend as well as somebody to whom I've given business. But but Ken, I think that's a little bit of a window into all of us looking long term at well, what's going to happen? Okay, that was caused by COVID and that's starting to come back as we get back to normalcy. But I want to say to him, what are you going to do 20 years from now when, the, or 30 years, whatever it is, uh, when so many more vehicles on the road aren't going to be rolling in here to buy gasoline and aren't going to be rolling in here for the traditional tune-ups? Another aside is that I'm a little bit surprised that the even the people heavily promoting EVs have not made as big a deal as I think they can make in promoting the savings to the end consumer in the maintenance and repair savings. Mm-hmm. So if you bought a $45,000 Mach-E or $45,000 ID Ford and named two vehicles that are getting a lot of good press and good exposure right now. Yes, the initial cost is a little bit higher and you do have legacy manufacturers backing them, but you own a vehicle like that. And if you're going to keep it, the long-term savings uh, on what you don't have to spend on maintenance repair is gonna put more money in your pocket. Now, getting to your question, this is going to affect the people who make their living by selling these parts and who make an hourly rage by repairing your ICE, internal combustion engine vehicle. Mm-hmm. So there is, like any other industry, there's going to have to be retraining. There's going to be some of those jobs we're going to lose through attrition, mm-hmm. uh, as, as normally happens. People are going to take retirement. People are going to look for other things to do. I'm hoping that with this infrastructure spending that the government and other industries or or organizations like like education um, look at retraining as a way to direct some of that people resource into areas where they're really going to help us in the future, Mm -hmm. whether it be research or whether it be uh, uh, manufacturing in new arenas. But 
it's really a global issue, Ken. There's no getting around the fact that it's going to affect the manufacturers. It's going to affect, uh, affect the aftermarket. It's right. going to affect anybody who makes parts for vehicles. It's going to affect schools. Mm-hmm. It's really multifaceted. Yeah, absolutely correct. You know, and, and I mean, the parts market, as you know better than I, is a huge market. There's all kinds of different parts that enable that market. And as you mentioned, from from uh, critical elements like spark plugs and wiring harnesses and things like that to the accessory side where, you know, putting a spoiler on or fog lights or, or these other things, um, you know, they may be more important down the road for the parts companies because if I can't sell them, you know, a fuel injector, um, maybe I can sell them, you know, an accessory to put on an EV, something like that, or to complement it, maybe a little bit more digital oriented uh, because of the, the amount of, of data and um, telematics that EVs are coming with a standard now. So there's apps and there's different things that might be able to offset that. So yeah, I'm very hopeful too. We have those same conversations here in Canada and I'm sure in other parts of the world where we're still very uh, oil dependent economies to a degree, especially our Western part of Canada, fossil fuel economies. So Mm -hmm. they're struggling with that, you know, going green. And, And there are, as you mentioned, other offshoots to that marketplace that aren't directly related to automobile manufacturing or the the supply chain around that, you know, everything from carbon capture technologies to research and development and and other areas of green technologies that can be a benefit. So I'm hopeful as well that that, you know, that movement will shift to what's what the new opportunities are going to be, but it will take time. And you're, you're totally correct that I think one of the other, facets that the Biden administration and up here in Canada and other countries that we need to do is education. So, you know, you talked about total cost of ownership for EVs. A lot of people don't see that. They see the short term, you know, the purchase price and a little bit beyond that. So understanding truly the benefits of EVs over the long term um, with the the bottom line messaging that there's zero emissions, especially from a from an all electric. I uh I mentioned to you uh, before we, uh, we we started this program. Just we had you and I had a, a brief conversation, mm-hmm. but I mentioned that I I had a Polestar two. Mm-hmm. It was actually uh, was loaned to me for for forty eight hours, and we can talk about that a bit. It was a great experience. But walking through my garage, I have a couple of older cars, so I'm going to ask you about hobby, that. Yeah, yeah, hobby <laughs> also, and I do a lot of my own work uh, mm-hmm. on the vehicles. Yep. But but Ken, although I knew it. I had the pole star for the weekend. I happened to be in my garage and I'm looking at some of my shelves and I'm looking at these gallon cans of, uh, uh, of antifreeze. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at my oil drain pan. Mm-hmm. So it's not just some of the parts, but it's mm-hmm. the tools the services, and supplies. Yeah. And it mm-hmm. really hit me in a very big way that True. if I were to have a vehicle like this that I owned, I could literally get rid of some of the stuff <laughs> that's in my garage. And, and yes. seriously, there, there is a long-term and maybe a medium-term, not just a long-term, but there is a positive effect to my wallet mm-hmm. by not having to think about these things. And again, the auto industry and maybe some others haven't really woken up totally to presenting that to the public and saying, hey, think long-term. It's not, mm-hmm. yes, you're going to pay a little bit more. You might go through a little bit of pain about thinking about having to plug in the charger every night, which you don't always think about, but think about some of these other 
advantages and benefits to what you can save. Yeah, absolutely correct. And it's funny you say that because I've gone through a similar experience. I try to do a lot of basic repairs and maintenance myself on our vehicles. And, you know, uh, as folks who follow me know, we had two internal combustion vehicles and an EV before when I got my first Nissan Leaf in 2018. And then I got a Model 3, uh, uh, moved away from the Leaf and got into the Model 3 last September. And at the same time, we went from a three-car family to a two-car family. COVID was one element of the reasoning behind that. So I don't have two internal combustion vehicles to change the oils and swap the tires and, and do a lot of basic maintenance that I can do myself. I have one now and it's like, well, it doesn't really make sense for me to spend 60 bucks on synthetic oil and then do it myself where I could take it somewhere and pay them $50 for the same thing. So, you know, Canadian. So it's like, I'm, I'm not going to do that. So I've got these tools and this oil pan and everything you said sitting there. And, you know, I've got a lot of grease uh, under my, my fingernails at times. And it's like, yeah, I'm not having to do that. And it's actually not a bad feeling because there are other things that I can putter around with, I think, on, on the EV side of things. So it's an interesting look at that. Yeah, it, uh, it again, it's something that I, I, I think we'll see more and more of and we'll hear mm-hmm. more about uh, as people embrace uh, what's coming. And, and myself, uh, yeah. as well as others, have written about 2021, Ken, maybe being the year of the EV. Mm-hmm. And what I embrace about that statement is not that you're going to see sales multiply by, by a factor of five or ten, but we are seeing more, some more interesting cars yes, uh, yes. come to market. Uh, we're seeing some more affordable cars. Mm-hmm. Would I love to have a Porsche Taycan in my driveway? Sure. But it's a beautiful car. <laughs> a beautiful car and, yeah. and great reviews, but mm-hmm. just a little bit out of my price range. Yeah, you and me both. But seriously, uh, with what's coming, I, I am especially interested in what's coming in the way of pickup trucks. Mm-hmm. Because I don't know the situation in Canada, in the U.S., as you probably know, the three biggest selling vehicles in the U.S. market are all the three full-size pickup trucks, the Ford, Chevy, and the Ram. Mm -hmm. And in 2021, maybe into early 2022, we have the Rivian R1T, we have the Tesla Cybertruck, and we have the GMC Hummer EV Mm -hmm. all coming to market approximately the same time. There might be a Mm -hmm. sixer eight month spread, but it's just from as a, an observer and as a, as a, someone who's just a, a interested in what's happening in my own industry, I am very, very interested to see what impact, if any, these full EV pickups are going to have on the bigger pickup market. Because as you know, right now, there are no, if you wanted to buy an EV pickup today, you couldn't, there are none literally Correct. for sale yet, but, mm-hmm. but but they're coming. So that combined with, uh, as I mentioned just a few moments ago, the Mustang Mach-E sales are doing very well from what I saw with mm-hmm. the Mach-E and the ID4, which is off, uh, just got launched, I guess, just about two months ago. Yeah, March. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so, uh, and there's some others out there. I do think 2021 mm-hmm. in that sense is the year of the EV. Yeah, it's a great point. You know, I had a conversation with another journalist um, who does another podcast uh, a month or so ago, and we talked about the significance of the pickup truck market. And, and we are very similar here in Canada. SUVs and pickups pickups tend to rule up here, um, but then so do things like the Toyota Corolla. <laughs> so we have both ends of the spectrum, you know, from a popularity 
uh, perspective. And that's just uh, the conservative nature of Canadians, I guess. But uh, we both, we all felt, and I think you feel it too, Richard, that when we start seeing EV pickup trucks come out in, in, a, in, a, long, in a fashion uh, that's going to be very attractive to many people, I think that's going to really help to legitimize the EV marketplace as a whole. Because when when you get people that rely on a pickup truck for their livelihood in a lot of cases uh, and fleets and things like that, when they say, see, hey, not only the total cost of ownership, so that's the one area where you'll get it, but, you know, I've got all this power under my control that I can, you know, I can, like Rivian, you know, putting a motor on every wheel or, or you know, Lordstown going after that market as well, the fleet, you know, I can, I can do so much more. Look at the Hummer, you know, with this crab mode and stuff. I mean, it's just, uh, it, it maybe it's a marketing gimmick, but it's it's cool to look at and it gets people's attention. And it says, boy, there's so much more I can do with this. And gee, I got 300, 400 miles. That's a lot of range on a day, you know, and, and that in conjunction with bringing the charging, the fast charging experience down to similar to a gas station experience. If we can get it down to 15 minutes or so, you know, that I can get 80% back kind of thing in 15, 20 minutes it's not as painful. A lot of people don't want to be standing around for 45 minutes, an hour, an hour and a half to charge a vehicle on a trip when they, they just drove two or three hours. So I think a combination of those things, and we are seeing higher, uh, faster charging speeds and all that kind of stuff. So um, I, I agree. I think 2021, it's a much more visible marketplace. And when you, when you start see, when you see, especially when you see the OEMs like GM saying, we're all in, you know, I don't know if you heard this, but I I, I uh, was on a, a press junket for them, a virtual call a couple of weeks ago, and one of their VPs said, you know, by twenty after twenty thirty, we're not selling any more internal combustion vehicles. Right. And I said, really? Okay, that took me by surprise. Like, you know, I know OEMs are going to wean themselves slowly, you know, with different targets, but this is you know a hundred plus year old company saying that. Yeah, yeah, they've made they've made the verbal commitment, yeah. and. Uh, and I think they really thrown down the gauntlet because this right. is long term. What we just talked about a few moments ago, this is going to affect their suppliers. It's a big it's deal. Affect their dealers. <laughs> yeah, there are thousands in the U.S. and Canada together. Mm-hmm. So the ripple effect is huge in that regard, and it really needs to be stated because we can't make this happen overnight. It's going to take time. Before I forget, you talked about the the crab. Uh, I've seen the crab videos on the <laughs> Hummer EV, but for your listeners, if they haven't seen this, go to YouTube or yeah. something else like that and 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 look for the uh, the Rivian um, tank turn. Tank turn, yes, that's right. You've seen that? Uh, I have. It's excellent. <laughs> Again, a, a, an example of what you can do with you know electronic on-demand power control. You know, instead of torque vectoring the old way. You know, this is instantaneous delivery of power thresholds uh, almost indefinitely to anywhere you want it at any point in time. And that's the magic that uh, electric motors give you, not only that instant torque, but the ability to play with that torque in many different ways for many different applications. You talk about the the reality of the pickup truck market. I like to tell the story. I've told this once or twice before. I'm working with a landscape uh, fellow I've used before, do some, mm-hmm. some work in my yard. And I, I don't know this fellow well, but I know him a little bit. He came by about a month ago to give me an estimate. And I noticed his truck was brand new. And I said to him, hey, Joe, did you get a new truck? Oh, yeah. And they, of course, they love to talk about their trucks. He says, yeah, it's a Ford F-350. I got the diesel. I needed the torque. 
And I got the long bags. I got to throw my landscaping supplies back there. And, and it's a crew cab, he says. So, you know, though I have other vehicles in the household, if I need to throw the family in there for Friday night pizza, I can do that. Mm-hmm. Now, while I didn't bring it up with him, I did ask myself, I said, would he be somebody who could be an ideal consumer for an EV pickup? And I do think the answer is yes, because you've mentioned torque and I've just mentioned torque. And I'll tell you, when I drove the Polestar 2, and aside from a very quick test drive in a BMW i3, which was about four years ago or so, I really hadn't been behind the wheel of an EV. Mm -hmm. When I got a chance in that Polestar to just nail the throttle, I tell you without exaggeration, the head, my head was thrown so hard yep. into the into the head restraint. Yeah. It really again brought home the message of, you know, I'm an enthusiast. Torque, yeah. you want torque guys? Yeah. Miss your big block Hemi? I got news for you. Drive one of these high output EVs and you've got all the torque you want. So for my landscaping contractor, he can get the torque with the Tesla or with the Rivian. Mm-hmm. He's got the space inside the cab. He's got the bed in the back. And I think the one thing I'd like to see, maybe my my aftermarket hat is on now working for Car ID, is what is going to happen. Because he told me, he said he he plows with that truck, Mm -hmm. right? And he pulls a small trailer to pull around some some other vehicles. So he's going to be looking at the attachments, whether it's a fifth wheel for his trailer or the attachments in the front to attach a snow plow. So the manufacturers and or the aftermarket are going to have to respond in kind. But uh, the final point I'll make about the trucks, I'm going to give you some U.S. pricing, but the Rivian pickup truck is starting at Mm $75,000. The first edition is sold out, by the way. GMC Hummer EV, the edition one is at (laughs) $112,595, and that's sold out. Yep. And the Tesla looks so affordable by comparison. The single motor Tesla is forty nine nine, mm-hmm. and the double motor Tesla, it's either fifty nine nine or sixty nine nine, but it's mm-hmm. it's around there. And I've given those numbers at the people. They said, "Oh, oh, they're so expensive. Who's going to buy a a Rivian for seventy five? Who's going to buy a Hummer EV for one twelve? And I say, you don't know what current buyers are spending for gasoline and diesel powered pickup trucks because they're spending 75, yeah. 85, $95,000. So don't let the pricing of, of those EV pickups uh, fool you into thinking that there isn't a market for those. Yeah. You know, that's a great point. A lot of people miss that. Um, and, and I think I probably did at first a couple of years ago, you know, getting into this marketplace and following it, but you're right. I mean, you know, I have a neighbor across the street who, who bought a Ford uh, F-150 Raptor. It wasn't cheap. I'll tell you that he had to wait six months or something for it. And it wasn't a cheap. And there's a lot of uh, SUVs and pickup trucks in my area that are not cheap. Um, and you're absolutely right. When you start peeling off those layers, people are spending even in Canadian dollars, 60, 70,000 is not, un, is not unheard of for them to be spending, you know, and upwards. And, and I totally agree um, that because of the versatility of pickup trucks, as an example, that they bring you for towing and, and other attachment capabilities like plowing and other businesses, EVs, all electric pickup trucks are going to be able to satisfy those needs and even more, you know, give you more. They can they have the load carrying capabilities for payloads. 
We have the towing capabilities for 12, 15,000 pound, you know, fifth wheel aspects. They certainly have the torque and the pushing capabilities for front end attachments for different use cases. Um, and then all the comforts of home if you want. So depending on uh, on what uh, uh, what manufacturer is going to offer to consumers. And, you know, we mentioned just a few uh, for this year, but I mean, Ford's darling F-150, you know, the number one up until last year, 2020, the number one selling vehicle worldwide, never mind just in in the U.S. and Canada, by the way, but worldwide, the number one. Now it's a Toyota Corolla or the or um, or the RAV4. It, it, I'm getting conflicting reports on that, but it's a Toyota. Toyota took number one as a, the overall OEM for mm-hmm. 2020, but still, it's like number two or number three uh, globally, and they're fully electrifying it. You know, GM has come out; they're going to come out with one. FCA or Stellantis now is going to get into that, whether it's a Ram or some other name, and then and then so you've got. You know, think about it, folks. You've got Ford with their, you know, they said a few years ago they're getting out of the vehicle market. They're going to stick with SUVs and trucks primarily. They're getting rid of sedans and stuff. They're going to phase out. This is their darling product. You know, why muck around with that? It's their, their best selling. And for them to, to, to state that they're going to fully electrify it and push it, I think is a big deal. It is a very big deal. And uh, you're 100% right. It's something that uh, they're going to, they're going to basically push the market in that direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the car industry traditionally, first of all, it's a very conservative, very, very slow moving industry. Uh, yes. You don't see quick wholesale changes in, in the car business. Right. Um, the, the, the car companies love to say, oh, we don't decide the market. We let we let the free market decide while they churn out <laughs> these, these large engine vehicles. And of course, uh, gasoline, I did some research on this recently, uh, adjusted for inflation, at least in the U.S., petrol's at a, at a 30-year low. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's certainly not encouraging people to buy EVs, and it's, it is in its own way encouraging to just continue buying large-engine, large vehicles. But you're 100% right, Ken, for Ford to make that statement, for GM to say we're going to be 100% EVs and 12 or 15 years, whatever the statement was. Here now, we have the industry saying, we recognize the change has got to come, mm-hmm. and we're going to build the vehicles, and this is what's going to populate our uh, our showroom. So when you walk into the showroom, this is what to expect. As an enthusiast and a long-term car collector, and as a former Mustang owner, yeah. uh, I had so many friends of mine so upset yeah. When Ford named this vehicle the Mustang. I was going to mention that. Again, another uh, strategic, you know, uh, move by Ford. I mean, another gutsy move, right? Gutsy move. Yeah. I, I have friends of mine, again, my generation saying, these stupid idiots, you can't <laughs> put the Mustang name on yep. anything that's four-door. Let me give you a slice of reality to show you how brilliant I think that was. Aside from the fact that I, I in person, I think the car is so Good looking. I think the photographs don't do it justice. It is. I, I did have time to to review one quickly for a couple hours, and it's a beautiful car. It really, is my nice. my wife, who's not a car person, I mean, she needs needs a car. Mm-hmm. She appreciates what a car does for her, but she's not a car person by any means. So I had a conversation. I came back from the Mustang Maki test ride, and I was talking to her about it. And I said to her, I said, quite realistically, maybe kind of like what you said about yourself, Ken. I said to my wife, I said, in a couple of years, I could see us having one gas engine vehicle and one EV. 
And then we can switch if, you know, my wife really doesn't leave the area and EV could make a lot of sense for her. And I do drive more when I drive out of state, maybe short term, I'll stay with the gas engine. Mm -hmm. When I told my wife, I said, listen, I would seriously consider if you liked it, honey, you know, the Mustang Mach-E for you, Ken, her eyes lit up and she said to me, you mean I would get to drive a Mustang? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And it was like, bingo, Ford, brilliant. Good tactic. Yeah, I love it. (laughs) You know, she doesn't care about the legacy of the the Boss 302 or the Mm -hmm. the Mach 1 or any of that. Gorgeous cars, yeah. Yeah. But the idea that, oh, she could tell her friends, hey, I drive a Mustang. Yeah. And, and, you know, folks, we talk about the Mustang and you may be going, why, why the heck are they keep talk for, talking about the Mustang? But, uh, you know, I do, uh, Richard doesn't know this, but I do an EV 101 kind of general. I do a lot of public outreach locally here, part of Electric Vehicle Society. So uh, kind of like your, your EVA, uh, I think, or EAA, whatever it is, um, uh, across the U.S., similar here in Canada. And part of the, the speak is, you know, when I talk about the significance of the Model 3 reveal and the amount of reservations that Tesla incurred over such a short time, even before the car was even seen, having 130,000 people put a thousand bucks down, you know, was a big deal. It really shook up the market. And the, the closest thing that came to the marketplace prior to that event was, I believe, the 64 and a half Mustang. When Ford originally brought it out, they had about 60,000 pre-orders for the vehicle. Now, that's not the same as not seeing it. People, they they saw it and they put it at the shows and whatever, they flaunted it. And before it was rolling off the assembly line, people put money down to pre-order. And that was a big deal back in that time frame. So this these are the only two vehicles that I'm aware of that had that kind of a, a significance on the buying marketplace to kind of shake things up there, you know. Um, impact and you know that's impact, a, yeah. I never thought of the mustang you would mm-hmm. mustang. but the parallel there ken for me is from a from a business perspective take, yep. take car enthusiasm out of it mm-hmm. and even entering this business as a young man it, i had to learn it, it's a business i may be an enthusiast but it, it, it's about you know helping companies survive um if you know the backstory on the Mustang, you know, Henry Ford II was completely against it. Mm-hmm. This was not some committee that, that decided the Mustang was the car that this country needed in 1964. But men like Lee Iacocca, who had the mm-hmm. vision yeah. to say, we're going to go with this. And the sales result, I think the break even point, they finally convinced uh, uh, Hank DeDuce. Uh, to go ahead with this because the break-even point was if they built 85,000 of these things, they would break even. Mm -hmm. If they built 100,000 the first year, they'd make money. And they sold 417,000 Mustangs the first model year. Wow, amazing. With 60,000 at least orders coming in before it even started cranking out. So, But the parallel is, you know, Elon Musk did not go out and do, uh, uh, you know, committee... uh, uh, reveals and and, and little uh, sidebar discussions to try to figure out if this is what the, the country needed. Another irony to all that is that what Tesla sells are four-door sedans. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's just the market, as you talked about a short while ago, that companies like Ford have abandoned. Mm-hmm. Well, listen, folks, if four-door sedans are so dead in the market, how come Tesla's doing so well with the Model 3 and the Model S? Yeah. And it's because people are willing to embrace something like these Teslas, regardless of the body style and 
again, what Elon has done to shake up this market has just been really tremendous. Absolutely has. We're starting to get on our time and I really appreciate it. I do want to, you know, you've touched a little bit about your EV experiences, which I think are great. You certainly look like, um, uh, have you purchased an EV? Do you have an EV in the family yet? We do not. We do okay. not. But there might be a must a Mach-E on the horizon for you or a Polestar too? It could be a Mustang Mach-E. <laughs> I really like it. The Polestar is yeah. a more money. Uh, yeah. As a driving experience, I preferred the Polestar. Yeah. No denying that, but it's a different class of vehicle too. I'm they not, are different. It's uh, it's apples yeah. there. So uh, um, kind of like a fighter jet on wheels almost because it has that cockpit. I found about the Polestar has that that Swedish cockpit engineering thing going. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's got the Volvo underpinnings. Yeah. yeah. Uh, if if people think of Polestar as a startup, it really isn't. All right. Um. The Mustang, what I like about both those vehicles are that they are uh, brand new platforms, EV platforms. And that's mm-hmm. another thing, Ken, I'll mention very quickly, is that what's been happening just uh, very recently is that the industry is moving away from taking an existing ICE vehicle, yeah. gutting its powertrain and throwing batteries in there mm-hmm. versus starting with a, a fresh sheet of paper. And I think that's helping. Uh, with yeah. things like the ID4, which I also drove, which is a mm-hmm. much more of just a normal car experience, like yeah. almost to the point of being a little bit boring. Yeah, ID4, yeah. and, and it's maybe so not, quiet. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah. Not as a, as a, not to say that in an insulting way. Yeah, to say that hey, you could pick this thing up for you know with the tax credit for under forty thousand dollars. I know, and you could just think of this as a regular car that you have to just plug in every night. Yeah. Hopefully. Even here in Canada, the ID4 is going to—it does qualify for both our federal incentive, uh, so our federal incentive plan at both price points because there's two models coming up here, and as well for a lot of the other uh, Quebec and BC that have provincial incentives, which you can stack. So, in essence, you can get thirteen thousand off the price uh, wow. in, if you buy it in Quebec, as an example, and it comes in—you know—MSRP is at forty-four nine nine five for the base and forty nine 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 five for the the higher end one, um, you know, with the, both have the larger batteries. Now you're starting to talk about a pretty good price point, then factor in your TCO and stuff. So yeah, absolutely. And you made a great point about the platforms. Uh, that is the way to go as we know. And, and the good thing is that again, thank Tesla to a degree for that quote unquote skateboard platform design that everybody is mimicking in their own form or fashion. Um, giving you the flexibility to put different skins, you know, GM with their Altium, they can build a subcompact to a full-size pickup, you know, with with that same platform, stretching it out a little bit. So that will help to spur, you know, the next generation of EVs forward and all that stuff. So it it looks like, you know, a great, um, I haven't really heard anybody say that, you know, 2021 kind of being the year, but I think, you know, more you and I talk, Richard, I think you've kind of sold me that really this is a bit more of a tipping point issue kind of year. Yeah, I think it is a tipping point-ish uh, year. And, uh, you know, you talk about the skateboard, Ken, and mm-hmm. uh, with that low center of gravity with all yeah. the batteries uh, in, in basically the floor of the vehicle, look what that does for, for handling and even, even for safety. Uh, let's not forget that an EV can appeal to an enthusiast also mm-hmm. with the torque, with the handling yep. advantage. There is a little bit of a mindset, again, among some of my friends that if you embrace an EV, you can't be a car enthusiast, that those two ideas are mutually exclusive. And they're not at all. 
I've encouraged friends of mine to, to take these vehicles for test drives. And uh, I will tell you a little bit as we get near the end here that I can't say too much about this right now, but Car ID mm-hmm. which has already started to sell some performance parts for EVs. Uh, we're looking at doing something a little bit more with our own online platform to uh, to make a larger appeal out to the uh, the EV owner and the EV car enthusiast. So uh, so do watch out for that. That's coming soon. We hope. Excellent. Well, there's our music. So that means that we have hit the end of the show. Uh, boy, you and I could talk. We have a lot in common, so we could talk for hours. I love talking to car guys because uh, you know, we talked a little bit before that uh, some of our personal experiences with older cars. Um, but, you know, a breath of fresh air, Richard, I really thank you for your perspective um, on the marketplace from a little bit different angle. You know, it's, it's interesting to see uh, how this market is going to impact other areas. And where can people find Car ID? Uh, you can find us online uh, on your PC, on your tablet, on your phone at www.carid.com. Carid.com. And tons of parts and access, not just parts, but accessories as well, right? Aftermarket stuff. And I take it you guys ship all over the place. Because I have listeners all over. We even ship to Canada. You do ship to Canada. (laughs) Not another U.S. state. We are our own country at times. (laughs) We hope so. Well, listen, that's great. It's been great speaking to you um, and with you as well. I appreciate your insights. And we'll probably have to reconvene again, maybe, you know, in a year or next year and, and to kind of talk about how 2021 was and where we've seen the yardsticks move forward in that year, in, you know, in this year as we're experiencing now, you know, and even though, you know, still with the COVID lockdowns and as we, we try to navigate through this, um, you know, with vaccines wrapping up, there is a lot of light at the end of the tunnel. You know, we will get through this. And I think, you know, the markets are just going to rebound with, with such a, a strength that it's going to be very good for for a lot of businesses and industries combined. Yeah, I agree, Ken. It would be exciting maybe for you and I to talk early next year and see yeah. what's going on with pickup trucks. And mm-hmm. let me say to finish off, that it's really been my pleasure to, uh, to talk to you today. Really enjoyed it. Well, thank you again for taking the time and uh, all the best and stay safe, Richard. All right. Same to you, Ken. Thanks again. Thanks again for listening, folks. You can email me if you have comments. Email at evrevolutionshow at gmail.com. Follow me on Twitter at evrevshow. I'm also on Instagram, evrevolutionshow. And if you uh, have any suggestions for shows, please let me know. Thanks again for listening. And please, everybody stay safe. And until the next time, I'll see you when I see you.